Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Mark chapter 11, and as you're turning there, I want to share with you a question that the Lord asked me a few months ago. Uh, And being faith builders, we always have faith projects, right? We always have things that we're believing for. Just being in my position here as the pastor, co-pastor of this church, there are things I'm releasing my faith for on a ministry level, not just natural provisional things, but uh, increase in the anointing. Uh, in, increase favor in our community, uh, ideas and wisdoms to, to flow in our life. And, and so there were uh, a, a lot of different things, and, and as well as personally in my life, that I uh, am using my faith for and believing for and standing for. And one day the Lord asked me a question, and, and I'm being transparent with you so that you know if He'll ask me <laughs> something like this, Uh, we have to work our faith just like the people in the pews. Those who are in the pulpit have to use our faith in the same way. We don't get some special faith card that that opts us out of of having to work our faith. I have to work my my faith in the same way that every believer does. So the Lord asked me, are you really believing? And he emphasized the word really. Are you really believing? And, And, you know, if the Lord asks you a question like that, He's not asking because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking because he's trying to get me to look at, at what, it, what oh, am I? And so that's the, the question, the correct way to answer is like Jeremiah. When he said, Jeremiah, what do you see? You know, it's like, what do you think, Lord? You know, uh, what do you, when he says, are you really believing? I immediately stopped and started saying, am I? Is there an area that I'm not believing in? Because I know that it is so, it, the, the biggest detriment to the faith walk is mental ascent. It is an enemy because it is so, it so uh, looks like faith. It, it sometimes in the natural area you can kind of think I'm in faith because I've got all the right information, but mental ascent is working here. And faith is of the heart, with the heart man believes. And so when God asked me, are you really believing? I stopped and, and I said, well, am I? <laughs> am I really believing? And he answered me this. He said, spiritual believing produces results and achieves God's intent. And so I knew there were some areas that, he, that I needed to go back and investigate where did I slip over into mental ascent? Where did I get over into the idea that I'm believing and I'm doing enough in my believing because evidently those areas that I'm not seeing results. And we know there are things that faith needs patience to work with. There are some things that take time. There are some things that are not, because faith isn't like a drive-through that you get it in two minutes or a microwave that it's done in five. 
So there are things that take time for our faith to work on, specifically, more specifically, things that involve other people's wills, things that involve other people's decisions. And so there's a, a different stand of faith for the salvation of my loved ones than there is for something that is a provisional part of my covenant. Because that which is already provided for me in covenant, I have a different uh, uh, access than something that is attached to their will. And so God has promised me the salvation of my children. Mm -hmm. And their behavior today is not uh, affecting my faith in God's promise. I don't believe that God has failed because of the decisions they may or may not be making, right? Because this is, God's working on them. It's working. It's working. And my faith, I'm going to keep my faith applied. I'm going to keep my faith pressure there. But when there are things that we need to constantly, and he gave me this example, like a farmer constantly surveys his crops. Now, I, I grew up, with my grandparents for about three or four years of my life uh, and was privileged to watch them grow most of their food, raise and, and, and butcher their meat and then grow all of their vegetables. And so grandma hardly went to the grocery store because it all came from our farm, right? And so the, the privilege of watching how that grew I also saw how often they went and looked at their crops. How they, were, they had to keep a constant eye on those crops. They, they had to, be, to watch for, be, for bean bugs. Did y'all know there's such a thing as bean bugs? Yeah. And bean bug dust. You yeah. know, my grandmother would put out the bean bug dust. Yeah. Right there, there, she had to watch for certain pests. She had to watch for certain things. She had to see if it needed more this or more that or more more uh, manure put on it and, and, and different. That was the fertilizer of, her, of choice at my grandma's farm. miracle Grow wasn't needed. She cut it out of the barn. And, uh, and so, but they were constantly, that, those crops had required their attention. And our faith requires us to be examining ourselves to see if we be in faith. You know, that's what the New Testament says. Examine yourself. Look and see, am I in faith about this or am I just over here in autopilot faith thinking it's working, you know, but I'm not doing the necessary part of my believing. So God said the evidence of what you have been believing for should be tangible. And, and, and he had me put uh, quotation marks about that. If you have been believing for it, it should be tangible. You should be seeing results. And, and that goes back again to that farmer constantly surveying the crops, maintaining a diligent eye on those things that I have applied my faith to. So I don't just make a faith action and then, uh, then ignore. I need to check my heart and see, is there more I need to do with the application of faith? Now, when we're, we're talking about the prayer of faith, we don't pray the same prayer over and over because it nullifies the first prayer. Remember? If you're praying the prayer of faith, you don't pray the same thing every day. 
But if you're praying an intercessory prayer, you might. You might pray for your children some of the same scriptures every day that God has you on. I, I even heard Patsy Caminetti talking about how they prayed at Brother Hagen's prayer school. He said, she said every week they prayed for the rain and she gave the three scriptures, Zechariah, ask ye of the Lord, rain in the time of the latter rain. She gave another one, I think, from Hosea. She gave those, she said, we prayed those scriptures like mining tools. She was using the example of a mining tool. Uh, we prayed those and we were mining out and she equivalated those prayers for the rain to the wall of Berlin falling because she said that's what we had been praying for. The rain of God's spirit began to rain on those leaders and brought a manifestation of liberty in that area. But they prayed those scriptures every week. They prayed them constantly. But we wouldn't pray the prayer of faith for something we believe we receive when we prayed that same way, but we would keep a faith application to it. That's the thing that we've got to know the difference. When I believe I receive when I pray, from that moment on, the, the proper way to keep a faith application to it is through thanksgiving and praise. It keeps me in that flow applying my faith to it so I don't just apply faith and then walk away from it and don't keep any pressure on it I apply faith and then I keep my hand of faith on it all day long thank you Jesus I believe I receive thank you Lord I'm keeping my hand of faith on that thank you Lord I believe I have it I'm not letting go of it and so faith there are things in our life that demand that that constant pressure to be put on it and what I found is that I was putting faith on some things and and then not touching them for a while and then coming back and touching them again with faith and then going on and getting busy and that's why you've got to not overload your faith yeah. there was a, a time that they had uh, the Hagans had just moved into and I use brother Hagan a lot because he's helped me he's been a teacher in my life and his his stories work and I'm gonna use them too so uh, <laughs> They had just moved into a new parsonage. They were learning how to use their faith, and he had all of his faith on the line for the ministry and the new church and all these different things. And Sister Aretha said, I'd like to have some new drapes for this new parsonage. I'd like to have some, some drapes to hang up. And would you believe with me? He said, Woman, I can't hang another thing on my faith, not even your drapes. <laughs> you got to believe for your own drapes. And so he recognized the limit of his faith and didn't overload it and just say, yeah, I'll believe for that too. And I'll believe for that. And I'll believe for that. And I'll believe for that. Because we have a measure of faith. Our measure of faith can grow. God has given to every believer the measure of faith. And it says your faith can grow exceedingly in 1 Thessalonians. But while it's growing, we don't want to bog it down and place so much demands on it that we, we don't have enough to be able to cover everything that we're believing for. If we are under a financial attack or a physical attack, we need to clear our plate and give attention to those areas because the, the attack is drawing on our faith in a, a, a more uh, demanding way and requiring that more diligent faith to be applied to it. You remember... Pastor and I fasted TV for 40 days, 
Fast, not just TV. I mean, we didn't even listen to music. We only allowed in our ears teaching about financial stability. And before that time, we were so financially unstable. And we didn't have a lot of debt. We just didn't have enough money to even pay our needs. Our, 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 we didn't have enough money to get in debt. <laughs> you know, we didn't have enough credit to because we were just, just didn't make enough to even cross that threshold. So when we went into that time, what we were doing was giving a concentrated focus to the application of our faith for that area. And our faith grew during that time and, and, and it was a successful concentration of our faith in that area. But you've got to recognize while there are certain seasons of your life, you, you've got to be wise about the distribution of your faith and also recognize what things need me to have my faith hand on them. Not asking and asking and asking and asking, but I've already asked, I believe I received, so now I'm focused with thanksgiving. Father, I thank you that I have. I thank you that you have given me. I thank you, Lord, that it is unto me according to your word. I thank you, Lord, Lord, that 1 Peter 2.24 is flowing in my bloodstream. I believed I received on January 10. Oh, and, and when I asked, I believed I received, and I thank you I have it. I call it mine. I have it now. I'm not waiting to get it. It's mine now. Amen. So that application is still putting faith pressure on that situation. You know, Jesus, he could look at people and identify faith or a lack of faith. He looked at the centurion in Matthew chapter 8. Not looking with natural eyes, but he identified in the conversation with that centurion and said he had great faith. I mean, it said Jesus marveled. His faith made Jesus stand back and say, Woo-wee! Look at that boy's faith. You see that faith? Woo-wee! He's got some faith. I haven't found faith. I mean, you know Jesus is expressive. The Syrophoenician woman, Jesus called her, great, her faith great. He called her faith great. Peter was walking on the water. Peter, a disciple of Jesus, walking on... I'm impressed. I haven't walked on the water yet. I'm impressed. Peter was walking on the water. I cannot get on to Peter. I cannot criticize Peter because I haven't been. But still, Jesus said, Why did you doubt, O ye of little faith? And that word little is talking about the duration. He had faith, it just didn't last long. Wow. So you see, it can be going in spurts. I can have times when I'm really strong in faith, but then I draw back on it. And so that's what Peter did. And then the disciples who came to Jesus in the boat and they said, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? He said, y'all ain't got none, 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 no faith. That's what he said to them, no faith. Oh my goodness. They had so much so much of the, the devil's report in their mouth. Don't you care? We're dying out here. No faith. But how did he identify where their level of faith was? Think about it. 
the, the centurion said something. He said, Lord, your word is enough. Just send your word and my servant will be healed. It wasn't what he did, it was what he said. The Syrophoenician woman said, I just need a crumb. There's enough healing in the crumb. If you'll just give me a crumb, I don't need a whole loaf. I don't even need a slice. I'll just take a crumb because it'll get the job done. Right? And he called that great faith. So in those and in the disciples on the boat, the disciples on the boat, what they said to Jesus identified their level of faith. We're dying. We're perishing. And so Jesus said they had no faith and he called the other people's faith great and it was identified by their words. So we can listen to our own words. This is not for you to judge my faith or me to judge your faith by what you're saying. You listen. Ask the Lord to let you hear what you've been saying. Yeah, you better be ready for it. When he starts hitting that replay button... When he hits that replay button and you, did I say that? Oh my goodness, I did. I said that. Have you ever been like under pressure and something come out of your mouth and it shocked you when it came out of your mouth? I'm not talking about cuss words. Surely our tongues are sanctified. We don't want cuss words coming out. But just some doubt that came out and you didn't even know it was there, but you got under pressure and you were just, ah, I never have enough to get this done. And you're like, oh, oh. Exactly. But you know what? That now you know that is in my heart. That did not just come out of my mouth. It came out of my heart too. It came out of my heart. If it's in my mouth, it came out of my heart first. So I want to put in my heart what I want in my mouth so that my heart will put in my mouth what I need to say. I want to purposefully put the word in my heart and then my heart will put the word in my mouth. Thank you, Lord. And then when I get into a, a, a need where I'm, I need to say or speak or declare or call for something, I've got a reservoir, a treasure out of the good treasure yes, of the heart. What are, what are we treasuring up in the heart? What are we, what's a treasure to you? You know, a treasure is something you dig for. You know, there are people who spend thousands of dollars to, to dive and to take huge ships out with, with multi-million dollars equipment to go down and look for buried treasures that have, of, sea, of ships that have sunk in the ocean or, or uh, uh, different uh, wrecks that have happened underwater uh, seas or, or in the Mississippi River. I, I know Kansas has a, it had a, 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 a place because there was a, a huge um, boat that had gone down in the river and they, they dug it out of a cornfield uh, some years ago. All of this, and so there was a huge museum of this boat that had gone down in the Mississippi River or Kansas River, whatever that is, whichever it was. But... What's your treasure? What are you digging for? What are you mining out of the depths of God's word and putting in your heart? And you're like, ooh, I'm going to need that one. I'm going to need that. And sometimes I come across some just gold nuggets. Yeah. Gold nuggets. I'll tell you, I'll show you when I've been, I've been treasuring in my heart. 
Hallelujah. Gold nuggets. I mean, just you find it in the Word and you're like, I'm going to need that. I'm going to need that, Lord. So because I'm going to need it, I'm going to lock it away in a place where I know I can get it. And it's in Philippians, and it's a prayer. I think it's here in chapter 1. It's that they would know how to approve that which is excellent. One ten, that you may approve things that are excellent. I came across that, and I thought, ooh, I need that. That's valuable. I need to know how to approve things that are excellent, and I need the people in my church. I pray this for y'all. This is, this is a verse that I pray over all of the people in this church that you would know how to approve things that are excellent. And you know, if you are a jeweler, a person who is a jeweler, they are trained to be able to know the difference between gold and, and false gold, fool's gold. They know the difference between the, the different valuable diamonds and, and diamonds of different lower, lower value. value. God wants you to be able to look at something and right away identify if it's eternal, if it's valuable, if it's necessary for right now, or if I can put that away, right? That's a gold nugget that I've been storing up in my heart that we may approve things that are excellent and be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ that we are filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto glory and praise to God. So are we treasuring up? My purpose in showing you that is that was something that I came across while I was studying, but the Holy Spirit, it sparkled to me. You know, like a, tre- like a whoo, that's, that's important. I want to treasure that. And so I put it in a place where I would come back to it and I've got it in my journal and I bring it up out of my heart and my mouth and, and, and feed on that. So when we are working with our faith, we want to recognize that there is a skill. And Mark 11, Mark 11, I'm finally there. That was all just to get us to Mark 11. Mark 11 gives us, through the teaching of Jesus himself, a teaching that is the most accurate application of faith that we can give. This is the way faith is applied. This is the way faith works. This is the the diagram of faith. He says in verse 23, For verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say, Unto this mountain be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. So we recognize that Jesus, in his teaching on how faith is applied, or how you work the God kind of faith, is that you're going to speak to things. You're going to speak to situations. You're going to speak to inanimate objects. You're going to speak to your body. You're going to speak to your finances. That's how you govern them. That's how you exert dominance over your body and tell your body you're not going to do that. You're not going to behave that way. 
You can exert dominance over your finances and tell them to be blessed. Anybody ever got prayed for by, by Dr. Ed Dufresne? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. The first time he came to our church that we had a minister who was in the hallway going to help Dr. Dufresne out with it, you know, follow him out and be his usher if he needed anything. And Dr. Dufresne whirled on him in the hallway, slapped his hands on him and said in an authoritative voice, Be blessed! And the man, like a pool of water, just melted to the floor under the anointing. Every time he would pray for people, Be blessed! He was, he was dominating with the blessing. He was applying that blessing with force into the lives of the people that he, he would pray for. Amen? The words are how we release. That's what the centurion said. I know how authority is operated because I'm a man in authority. I'm, an, I'm a man under authority. And if I say go, guess what happens? They go. So he, he said words, I say go. I say go. I say, and Jesus called this great faith. What this man said, Jesus called it great faith. I've not found so great faith in all of Israel. I say go and they go. And if you say for my servant to be healed, he will be healed. Amen. Why? Because I believe your words have authority. I submit my servant and his outcome to your authority. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so words are the carriers. So Jesus said, whoever will say. So it doesn't just work for whoever. It works for the whoever who will say. Because there are a lot of whoever's who aren't saying anything. Amen. And they, they refuse to say it because they feel like they're lying about it. They refuse to say, by his stripes I'm healed if they don't feel healed. And they refuse to say, I'm blessed going in and I'm blessed coming out. If they don't feel blessed. I mean, my husband was preaching prosperity. And I told him, please do not kneel at the altar when you go to pray for the men. Because they had an altar. And he would, the men would be at the altar and my husband would come up. And he would get down on his knees behind them. I said, don't kneel at the altar. The hole's in your shoes. Everybody can see them. <laughs> and he was preaching prosperity. But he wasn't waiting until we had it to say it was true. He was calling it and calling it and it finally came into our lives. Amen. But if he hadn't called for it, it wouldn't have come. So whosoever shall say, that's who it'll work for. We have to say. And we have to say boldly a command to, to a mountain to get up and cast yourself into the sea, be removed and be cast into the sea. That doesn't even make sense. That doesn't even make sense to the natural mind. How can a mountain get up and be moved? Well, how could Jesus talk to a fever? Jesus spoke to a fever. And it says the fever obeyed him. It says he told the fever to leave and it left. So evidently it heard Jesus. Jesus spoke to wind. He spoke to waves. And so he says, you've got, for you to use faith, you're going to have to speak to things. The things that, you, that need to change, the things that need faith applied to them, you're going to have to talk to them, not, not talk to God about them. 
There are some things we go to the Father and receive from the Father. And there are some things you need to talk to the thing. The thing needs to hear you boss it around. You need to pull some Caesar Milan on your pocketbook. Pull that pocketbook out and say, you listen to me, I'm talking to you. You prosper. You are fully funded. Pull your checkbook out and tell it. The blessing governs this house, governs my life, and you're not going to allow lack anymore. But if you are a whosoever who will say, you have to continue this process by believing that the things you say come to pass. I'm going to deal with that middle part in a minute, but let me go right to here. If you're going to say it, you've got to believe the things you say come to pass and not just when you're in the time of prayer. A lot of people are, they got their faith on in prayer, but then they think the words they speak in between one prayer time to the next are, are, are not important. They're not, listen, yesterday I was getting ready for service. We have our, a service here on Saturday night for uh, all people who speak Spanish. And uh, I was getting ready for the service, and I turned my mic on, and the person who was running the sound was, was filling in. And so they didn't have my mic muted. And when our police officer came, I walked out to, to say hello to the police officer, and my mic was on. And so the, the, one of the people who was here uh, on the praise team, praise and worship had already started. She had to run back and turn my mic off because they could hear me saying hello to Officer Barton and thanking him for being here and, and, and you know, the conversation. They were trying to have praise and worship and, and my mic was on. Well, listen, your mic is on all day long. Your mic is in the Father's ear all day long. He hears you. All the words that come out of your mouth are, 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 are important. They're recorded. And that's why Jesus said that we will give an account in the day of judgment for every empty, idle, non-working word. Matthew 12. Matthew 12. You'll give an account. You want to see it? Look at it. We'll come back to Mark, but look at Matthew 12 because that's, that's important. If I've got to give an account for it, I want to, I want to be more responsible now. I want to repent <laughs> for any lack that I have shown in accountability with my words before, and I want to start right away getting my words so that when I give an account for them, it'll be a good one. Amen. He says here in Matthew 12, verse 36, But I say unto you that every idle word, didn't say cuss word, didn't say bad word, he said idle. idle. Of course you shouldn't say cuss words. Of course you shouldn't say bad words, of course. But he said idle. Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof. Can I see the amplified? The amplified is where I find the, the words inoperative and non-working. Inoperative and non-working. Every idle word that men shall speak. Why? Are we going to have to give an account for that? Because it's your responsibility. You are entrusted with the creative force of words. No other creature on this planet, not even angels, 
have the authority of words that you have. God has given us his authority of words. We can, we can choose life with our words or we can choose death with our words. Here we find in the Amplified that phrase, inoperative or non-working. So that burns me up. That blows my mind. That freaks me out. Are those, is that a responsible use of the words I've been granted? It is, it, it is so infiltrated in the thinking of people. This, these words that are, are negating faith and setting up situations and times. Hallelujah. If my ushers go for your teenagers, it's because I've asked them to help if, they're, if, they, if they get their phones too loud. So, praise God. Y'all are good. Thank you for turning that off. The responsibility of the believer, we will give an account for the words that we speak. Amen? Amen. The words that we speak, we are responsible to use for God's purpose, for God's plan, and bring his, his words into our heart and into our mouth. Amen? Amen? So he says, inoperative and non-working words, we'll have to answer for those. So let's not have them. Because to work Mark 11 correctly, to work Mark 11 correctly, we've got to believe that the words we say come to pass. Amen. Is that what he said you have to believe? Yes. It says, if you say to the mountain, you have to believe the words you say will come to pass. If you're going to say to the mountain, you have to believe that it's going to come to pass because you said it. Amen. Because you said it. Yeah. Jesus is teaching this. This is what God has chosen for us to operate faith. Yeah. Amen. He says... The things which you say shall come to pass. Do we believe that? Do we believe the things that we say come to pass? Well, then you won't say that burns me up. Now listen, Sister Gloria Copeland, if anybody knew the power of her words, it was Sister Gloria Copeland. She was teaching in a conference center and they came and they said, there is a tornado coming through the city right now. And so they reach up their hands and they're taking authority over the tornado and they're praying about the tornado and they command that tornado to cease. It came right on the ceiling of the room that she was in and tore a hole in the ceiling. And by that time they had escorted them out into another part of the building. And she was in that other part of the building. She said, Lord... I spoke to that tornado and I told that tornado to go to cease and to, to lose its power. And she said, what, what, where did I miss it? What, what could I have done better? And the Lord played back her words. And she said, I don't know how many times I've said this over the years. That blows me away. That blows me away. 
She said, I've said it while I was preaching. I've said it about the word. I've said it about the revelation. That just blows me away. She heard her words. God rescued her. It didn't happen. But see what her words had authorized? Unknowingly. We have to believe that every word... That's why... Now, some people think this is nitpicking, but I'm doing it for a reason. I've tried to stop saying I'm sorry and say, please forgive me instead. Because I'm sorry is saying I'm full of sorrow about that. I don't want to be full of sorrow. And so I've taught that and I've tried to, to catch my words. And when I, because I used to bump into people and say I was sorry. You know, I'd be at the mall and I'd say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I, I realized I said that a lot today. And so I thought, Lord, what can I do to change that? And so he said, Tell, say, please forgive me. Please forgive me. And so I started changing that. Well, um, Ron and Deborah Poole at the other campus, they have a little one, and she's been going to preschool. And in the preschool class, they have taught her to say she was sorry. And so they're trying to say, no, 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 baby, say, forgive me. <laughs> She doesn't understand. They don't understand. But the parents understand. I don't want my child spending years of building a, a fountain of sorrow in her life saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Do you see? I apologize. Please forgive me. I apologize for that. Oh, pardon me. But, but it, it, it might seem nitpicking to some, but there's a reason to it. There's a purpose. I believe the things I say come to pass. I want to believe even more. Do you know it took years for the devil to, to, to get people to say some of the things they say? To bring all of the wrong, these expressions into people's mouths? Like, ooh, that's sick. Why would you say that about something good? It's sick. That's bad. That was what, back in the 70s, right? Ooh, that's bad. Right? But we really meant, that's not what we meant, was it? We meant that's really good. So do you see what it does to people's faith when they use words in a way they don't mean them? Like, look at the little tiny puppy, and it's a St. Bernard. <laughs> And you go to that little chihuahua and you say, what a big, ferocious dog you are. <laughs> we're not being nitpicky. We're recognizing if I say it, I've got to believe. I've got to believe what I say. And if I say things purposefully that I don't believe, that's what Brother Caps wrote in his book about God's creative power. Jesus never used twisted words. Jesus never said anything he didn't mean to say. Jesus used his words on purpose, accurately, with an intended target in those words. And so we're not trying to be nitpicky. We're trying to be skilled in Mark 11. It says, whatever I say, whosoever shall say, if I say it, I've got to believe that the things I say come to pass for me to be able to say to that fever or say to my finances or say if I'm applying faith in that saying 
I've got to believe my words have power, not just when I'm praying. I've got to believe they have power every time they come out of my mouth. All of my words count. I, my microphone is on all the time. The speaker is on in God's throne room to hear every word that comes out of my mouth. So I never, I'm so glad, you know, that I didn't say something I didn't mean to say. <laughs> that God's not saying, oh, Michelle. And then I get back in prayer and, and I'm like, hey, Lord. And he's like, I heard you. I heard that. I, I can hear you. God can hear us. And he says every word. We've got to believe the things we say come to pass. And if we say it and believe what we say comes to pass and we refuse the action of doubt. That was the other key element to Mark eleven twenty three. Shall not doubt in his heart. Now doubt can come to your head but that doesn't mean it's operative in your heart. If you'll cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself and take every thought captive, that doubt never has to enter into the heart. Amen. So you can have a doubt thought come and you can deal with that doubt thought and it not become operative in the heart. But if you meditate on that doubt thought and you allow it operation in the mental processes, it will enter into the heart and sabotage what you said and believed because it separates you. The word doubt means to separate thoroughly. That's what happened to Peter. Peter was in faith, but he began to look at the wind and the waves and what he saw made him fear. And he separated something he saw made him think and believe that those wind and those waves which were at full velocity when he got out of the boat and every step he had taken, had, he had taken in the wind and in the waves. Yeah. They didn't come after he started water walking. Amen. They were already operative when he, he stepped out of the boat and with every step he had taken, the winds were at the same level, the waves, they just didn't have his attention. Yeah. But when he gave his attention, he separated from the word he had stepped out on. And that separation is, is um, avoidable. Amen. It's avoidable. Amen. James chapter 1, the Word of God says, ask in faith, doubting nothing. It's possible. Amen. It's possible for you to ask in faith and not doubt at all. Amen. It takes practice. Yes, it you, but you can do it. We can do it. We can do it because the Word says we can do it. It says it here in verse 23 of Mark 11. You, can, you cannot doubt in your heart. If you can attain that level of working the Word so that, it's that the opportunity to doubt, you don't take it. The option is just no longer on your multiple choice. No, that's not an option for me. Amen. Right? Amen. You know, we, we determined last year that fear is not an option for me. Yeah. Right? So when the opportunity to fear came, we just opted out. No, that's not even on my, to, my multiple choice list. Yeah. I can believe God. I can call on the name of Jesus. I can rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. All these are my multiple choices of what to do. Yeah. But fear, no, it's not even an option for me. 
right? Doubt needs to have that same thing. Just, just take it off the multiple choice. Don't even let it be an option of something that we could enter into. No, doubt, of, of course not. I, I can't, no. No, I'm not going to doubt. That's not an option. Why? Because I've got to believe that the things that I say come to pass. I've already said some things. Did Jairus have the option to doubt? Did the option come? I mean, they came to him and said, Jairus, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter is already dead. He had already made his faith declaration. He said, my daughter is at the point of death, and if you'll lay your hands on her, she shall live. He had already made his statement, and he was, he was in faith. He had the opportunity to be separated from his declaration. You put your hands on her, she shall live. You put your hands on her, she shall live. You put your hands on her, she shall live. And then they come with this report, don't bother him. She's already dead. And Jesus overhearing, the Amplified says, overhearing and ignoring. He heard it. He heard it too. It didn't move Jesus and he said, do not fear, only believe. Don't fear, only believe. In other words, you've already set the course. The, you're already on course. Don't change the GPS now. If you move positions, you know what's going to happen to the GPS? You can have it right there on your phone, and it can be showing you turn by turn, and you know, according to where I am right now, I've got to make two more lefts and a right. But if you go to another location, it's going to reset. And if you move over to doubt, it's going to reset. You've got to stay in your faith location because your GPS has already been set. It's already been set. Don't move. That's why James chapter 1 says, don't let that man who doubts think he can receive anything because he's like the wave of the sea. He's never in one place long enough to receive the answer. He's like a wave of the sea. His position changes every moment. He's like a wave of the sea. It's tossed by the situation. It's moved by the wind of the circumstance. It has no... It has no permanent residence for faith to deliver the answer to. We need a permanent residence for faith. That's why the Word of God says, says uh, be, be firm, be constant. Hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering because He's faithful. Hold it fast, hold it fast. Why? Because the situation, the circumstance, Satan, the devil, he wants to move you off your faith. He wants you to move you away from your answer. But if you will hold fast the profession, the confession, the declaration of your faith, if you'll hold it fast, how do I hold spiritual promises? I can't hold them with these hands. But I can hold it with this hand. Death and life are in the hand of the tongue. The power of the tongue, the original language, the word power is the word hand. You have a hand in the spirit. You have spiritual hands to reach. If you've got it in your mouth, you've got possession of that promise. If you're saying, 1 Peter 2.24 is flowing in my bloodstream, you're holding it. 
You're holding it. If you say, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. It's in your possession right here. It's this hand that's holding it. Hold fast the profession. He's faithful. Will you be faithful in holding fast? Will you be faithful in believing the words you say will come to pass? Don't doubt. Don't separate. Don't separate from the promise. If you've ever been through, uh, Sister Wanda, you probably encountered this, when Willie George's curriculum, uh, he, there's a, a curriculum, I know you and your husband had used it for some time, uh, there's a curriculum that we use in our children's ministry that talks about faith being like a rope. And that when you put your faith on something, it's like that cowboy who ropes that thing that he's wanting to pull in. And so you put the rope around that, that thing that you're believing for and now you're holding it. The rope is holding it and you've got one end of it and the rope is around it. And every time you say, Father, I thank you. I believe I received when I prayed. You're pulling in closer the answer into manifestation. You have it. It's at the end of your rope. You still hold possession of it. You have the rope in your hand. But when a person doubts... They let the rope go. Amen. Now it's no longer in their possession and they say, I thought I had the answer and I believed I received, but it's not looking like it's mine. We don't go by what it looks like. We don't walk by sight. We don't walk by feelings. We don't walk by circumstances or, or, or other reports. We have a report. Let's stick with the report, right? And so when that person who once had the rope around the promise and now they have dropped their rope and now the promise is drifting farther away from them. The thing that they were believing for and bringing closer to them now that they no longer have control of the rope, it is now drifting away from them. And so a person who is wavering is picking up the rope and saying, okay, Father, I have it. Now it's drifted. It's at the full length of the rope away from them. Father, I have it. And they're two days. Father, I thank you, I have it. Lord, I rejoice that I have it. I thank you, I have it. And they pulled it in a little bit, but then a circumstance arises and they say, it's not working for me, and drop their rope again. And then they'll hear a good message on faith. They'll get that scripture. The Holy Spirit will bring that scripture back to them. They'll go get their rope. And they're at the end of their rope again. They're starting all over. Believe and I receive. Father, I thank you, I have it. And, they're st- and they may get a little bit further. But then another report or another symptom or another circumstance and they drop the rope. Do you see why we've got to have a constant faith demand? We've got to keep the faith pressure on it throughout our day. Go around my life. I'm dealing with the things in my life, but I've got my hand on that thing. My faith is on it. How do I have my hand on it? My hand? My hand? This hand. So if if I want to do this spiritually, I'm going to be, throughout the day, putting my mouth on it. I'm going to be saying, I'm going to be using my mouth to call it. I, I thank you, Lord, I have it. I thank you, Lord, that you're faithful to your word. You're faithful who promised. Lord, I hold fast my confession of faith. I thank you, Lord, that I am the redeemed of the Lord. I thank you, Lord, that I am the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. I'm always going over, never going under. I thank you, Lord, you increase me more and more. You increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. 
Father, I thank you that you always cause me to triumph. I thank you, Lord, that you give me the victory. I thank you, Lord, that faith is the victory. Hallelujah. I'm putting my faith on it, but this is my mouth that I'm using to put my faith on it. This is the hand, my mouth. So if we're not saying it, that's what God dealt with me about. Are you really believing? And then, and then it was like this. Are you really believing? It was like I could see the Lord put his hand to his ear and say, Are you? Because if you are, I'd hear it. If you were believing, there'd be something in my ears right now. And I realized, oh, I haven't been saying anything. Because believing starts here, but it's not the end. Here. If it doesn't come out of my mouth, I have not yet completed the equation of faith. We believe and speak. We having the same spirit of faith. The spirit of faith. What do we do? We believe and speak. Therefore, we speak. If I'm believing, I'm speaking. So when the woman said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be whole. That was her faith speaking. When the centurion said, just send the word and my servant will be healed. That was his faith speaking. And that's what we want. And so I'm sharing with you so that you can learn from my mistake. And God never has to come to you and says, are you believing? Really? Because I don't hear anything. I don't hear your faith talking. Are you? Numbers. And we'll stop right here. I haven't even looked at my watch. Y'all have mercy on me because I really don't care about the time right now, but I know I should. But this is my closing. I know the whole by the Spirit. This is where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring us here to Numbers 14. 28. Say unto them, as truly as I live, says the Lord. Is that, is, I mean, is he being serious about this? As truly as I live. God is saying, as truly as I live. As you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. We know what they said. It was not good. And I'm sure God scratched his head and said, why do they keep saying that? Why are you saying that? Can you see the angels standing around going, what did she, what did they say that for? Because they said it a lot. God said, I can hear you in your tent. Y'all are alone in your tent. And I can hear you. And what were they saying? We're going to die in the wilderness. We're going to die in the wilderness. 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 I mean, it was just like a repetitive declaration that God... I think the devil helped them. I mean, their carnal mind was already easy, but... For them to get that entrenched 
and die in the wilderness in their mouth. And God was so patient with them and gave them time after time to learn about His goodness. I mean, He, ten different times, He out of His mercy provided in the midst of their complaining and their hard-heartedness. He said, but listen, that's not limited to negative things. Because we don't say those negative things. We don't say that burns me up and that, that, that freaks me out. And we don't say that, right? What do we say? God said, as you speak in my ears, I'm out of debt. My needs are met. I've got plenty more to put in store. As you speak in my ears, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm always going over, never going. As you speak in my ears, God always causes me to triumph. If you'll speak that in my ears, I'll do that for you. Can you see the Lord this morning? <laughs> As you speak in my ears. As you speak in my ears, so will I do unto you. That's what I'll do. That's what I'll do. I thank you, Lord, for restoration in my family. I thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for how you lead my children. Father, how you have opened their eyes to see of your goodness. Hallelujah. As you spoken in my ear. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands to the Lord. Lord. You're so merciful to us to show us the words that are causing a hindrance to our lives, to point out the keys for us to move into a greater application of your faith. Lord, I pray for each of these here today that they would speak boldly your promises in your ears. That from a courage that the Holy Spirit provides, they would call into existence everything your word says belongs to them now. That, Lord, we would have a boldness to declare your word and your faithfulness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mara Sokarabahaya. Bere Bushtabale de Karabarabahaya. 
God told Jeremiah, I'm going to put my words in your mouth. And with my words in your mouth, you're going to tear down some things that need to be torn down. You're going to pull down some things that need to be pulled down. You're going to destroy some things that need to be destroyed with my words in your mouth. And you will build and you'll plant some things with my words in your mouth. And the Lord would say to us today that I will place words in your mouth that will shift the atmosphere of the situation. If you'll be bold enough to speak out, people will have hope who were hopeless just moments before. People will see light who were standing in confusion and darkness just moments before. But by a word that you utter out of your mouth, I will cause vision to increase. I will cause hopelessness to be dispersed. I'll work with your mouth. I will work with your mouth as I worked with Moses' mouth, as I worked with Joshua's mouth. I'll work with your mouth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God told Joshua, I will be with you as I was with Moses. How was he with Moses? God said, I will be with your mouth. I will be with your mouth. So when Joshua stood in that battle, knowing that if the sun goes down, we will be at a disadvantage, he knew God said, I will be with your mouth like I was with Moses' mouth. And he opened up his mouth and told the sun to stand still. He told the moon not to move. And the Bible says God hearkened to the voice of a man. Ooh. And he just told us he'll be with our mouth in that way. He'll be with our mouth. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Father, let us be so skilled. Father, let us come up to another level in our discipline with our mouth. Lord, let us be a people who have no loose lips. That our mouth is not for judgment or criticism or gossip or slander. Father, that our mouth is so disciplined that it walks in, that our mouth keeps the law of love, the law of kindness is in our mouth. And Lord, that we are disciplined to believe the words we speak. Lord, help us come up in that discipline.
that we believe the words we say come to pass. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.